This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey, it's tech fan number 20 with Tim Robertson and David Cohen. In-app purchases, the Technologizer website article, and much more. Check it out. And welcome to Tech Fan number 20. Hello, David Cohen. Hi there, 20 already. 20. I know, isn't that kind of crazy? <laughs> it is. But, I mean, it's it's also kind of strange in that, I mean, how long have you and I, just the two of us, been podcasting together? And we're oh. only at episode 20. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. But well, it, I mean, in, in calendar years, it's been a long time now. Right. And this is relatively a new show, comparatively speaking. Yeah. But uh, we got a little bit of catching up to do. I mean, you, uh, well, let's see, you did a kind of a show by yourself last week, and I had a segment on it, and yeah. and uh, I wanted to start, we'll start at the beginning of last show, where I was talking to uh, Kevin Shea, he is the uh-huh. Manager of Business Development at Mac Specialist, and we had talked about doing a podcast, and we're still battling the idea back and forth, battling. Batting, I guess I should say. Back and forth, battling. And uh, we both really like the idea. It's got to be the right idea. And we did get some listener feedback. And I don't want to share some of it here because it's more relevant to Mac specialists, not necessarily to tech fan. Um, but there's two really good ideas out there. Um, one of them was from Tom, and he'll know who I'm talking about. And we'll see if that one goes. And there was another one that... Uh, Kevin himself also had, and I don't know, we'll see. I think it's definitely something that we're going to do, but he kind of got bit by the bug. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You could kind of tell that because he took to it very quickly. He did. Um, And, um, yeah, you could see that you could see he was enjoying himself, and and enjoying yourself doing it is is the the key part, really. It's not easy to... uh, <clears throat> sit in front of a microphone and just start talking. Uh, a lot of people take it for granted listening to podcasts. It sounds very natural, a lot of shows. and Although you do hear a show occasionally that it's kind of painful. <laughs> You're like, wow, this person really shouldn't be. Uh, well, we've, we've, all, we've all done shows like that. I, I've <laughs> done more than my fair share of shows like that. Um, but, yeah, Kevin got bit by the bug. In fact, he sent me a text, I think it was yesterday, and he goes, I can't stop thinking of podcasting. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll see what happens. The second part of the show, I really enjoyed. Um, oh, thank you. I had to actually listen to it on my laptop driving home. Right. Uh, I forgot that's, to that's, sync. That's... Yeah, I forgot to download the current edition of, well, the last episode, I should say, of Tech Fan to my iPhone, which is what I usually listen to in the car. So I listened to the latest episode of the MyMac podcast, but then I couldn't listen to you and they actually on the last edition of the MyMac podcast reference what you were talking about. Yeah, they did. And I'm like, I haven't got to hear it yet. I put the show together, but I don't actually listen to the whole show as I'm putting it together. Um, so I opened up my laptop, plugged in the audio out jack from my MacBook Pro into my car stereo, 
Uh, the machine wasn't booted and I hit the power button. I've done this years ago in the past, but I forgot how loud that can be in your car. Yeah. That boom. <laughs> <laughs> the whole car felt like it was shaking. I, I, I tell you, I have to be very careful in my office because uh, I get filthy looks whenever I turn on a Mac and that comes out too loud. <laughs> I like it so much better than that. Remember that Windows 95 or uh, what was it? Windows, was it 95? No, XP. Oh, I think that little chime. All my stupid noise. Ugh. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I did listen to it. And I thought it would definitely be worth talking about a little bit more here. Obviously, you went pretty sure. in depth with it. But I have to say, for the most part, I totally agree with you. This jumping around in price on iPad, iPhone, any iOS device in the App Store is both confusing and insulting. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, I just – well, as I was saying, to me, the value of something – is is this is twofold it's what you pay for it and then what you use it for um and if you buy something and then all of a sudden the price jumps around not only might you feel cheated but you just might feel that god it's not it's not as valuable as i thought it was really another aspect is i think it's going to start conditioning people to think you know what we got a holiday coming up i'm not going to buy any apps for my iphone or my ipad because they're all probably going to go on sale so i'm just going to hold off I think that's really bad for their industry. Yeah, well, and, and particularly for the small developers, and I think the small developers are the ones who suffer yep. from, from this because they're the ones who can't really afford to kind of experiment with their prices. And something like EA can, uh, you know, kind of take it or leave it, depending on what their latest financial quarter is doing. They can use other parts of their business to subsidize their iOS games if they want to have a promotion. And, um, it, yeah, it kind of it leaves everyone else out in the cold. I found another disturbing trend, and I don't know if you've come across this yet, David, but I think this is potentially even worse. And I'll go back and say that uh, earlier this week, Gameloft released a game called Starfront for the iPhone. It works on the iPad, too, but it has to scale up. Yeah. And honestly, that's where I'm playing it. Right. So it's a free download, and basically what the game is, and the free part will come into play here in a second. Basically what the game is is a huge ripoff of StarCraft. Well, Gameloft are, are well known for kind of yeah. uh, being very heavily inspired by other properties. And sometimes they do a good yeah. job and sometimes they do a really bad job. But I have yeah. to stay f- say for uh, for this game, Stormfront, they've actually done a really good job. Yeah. It, it's quite well done. It's It doesn't have the depth that you get in StarCraft, but... It's good nonetheless. Uh, I recommend the game for that reason alone. Now, here's my problem, David, and this is a huge problem that, quite honestly, I can see being being a bigger problem in the future. And Gameloft being one of the biggest iOS developers is going to kind of set the pace for this. The game is free to download. Great. Right. It's a six ninety nine in-app purchase to unlock the full game. Do you see the problem there? Uh, well, yeah, a lot of people aren't going to unlock the full game. No, that's not the problem. The problem is I want to be able to play it on my iPad or my iPhone. Uh, so you've got to unlock it twice. Exactly. So I have to pay double. They're effectively getting around Apple's, hey, it's your app. You can use it on any of your mobile devices. 
they're getting around that by not selling you a full game. They're giving it away and then making you unlock it on a per-device basis. So what happens is my iPad breaks and I have to buy a new one. Well, now what? Well, hang on. I don't know enough about the in-app purchasing system, but wouldn't wouldn't that have registered that you'd... Nope. That you'd... Well, that sucks. Right. That's my point. Because it's an iOS game. It runs on both the iPhone and the iPad. It's not universal, so it's not native on the iPad. It's, right. you know, scaled yeah. up. So I've been playing it on my iPad, and that's where I unlocked it. So I fire up my iPhone. Now, this is after I've already synced my iPad to my iTunes account. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of reverse puts it on the computer because I didn't download it on the computer initially. Uh, a couple days later, I plug in my, well, this morning I plug in my iPhone it says, oh, look, there's a new application in iTunes for you, so I'll put it on your iPhone because you probably want it there, and I did. I fire it up, and what do I see? Hey, six ninety nine to unlock the full version. Well, I, I see, I, I, I've never done anything on the app purchase, but I'd always assume that once you're in app purchase, that iTunes saw that and would... Because what happens if you, I don't know, if you, if you buy, uh, I say the eagle in Angry Birds, this thing that, that allows you to cheat a few levels. Yep. On, on one device, and then you have to re, re wipe and reinstall your devices. Sometimes you have to do. Yep. Does that mean you lose your in-app purchases? If you're doing a restore, no. But if you have, oh, I don't know, you want to set up a brand new iPhone for yourself using your own account and give your current one to, I don't know, your son or your daughter or your wife, um, no, you have to buy it again. Well, well I, I wouldn't be doing that on principle. <laughs> I, I'm really much. not pleased with this development. It really, honestly, it, it really ticks me off. And as much as I like Stormfront, because of that, I got to say, don't buy the game. I recommend playing it because it's fun. Don't buy it. Show Gameloft that this kind of shady tactics, and it's a hole I hope Apple closes because I don't think it's fair. I'm wondering if it's a bug, actually. No, they did I, I it on just, purpose. I've just, well, I've just done a search search on this now, uh, and over on Touch Arcade, there's somebody talking about this and, who's saying that if you have the if you install the full game on multiple devices using the same iTunes account, then you should get you should get the full version on each one. Nope, I I, I tried it myself. It didn't yeah. work because you unlock the game within the game. So when I sync it to another device, I sync it back to iTunes. And then I install the same application on another iOS device, which is my i. You know, I got that backwards. I bought it on the iPad, synced it to iTunes, then I synced my iPhone. It put the game on there, but it doesn't register that it has been unlocked or in-game purchased to buy the whole version. Well, like that. I mean, if that if that's the way it works, it should be something that that um, that Apple can fix. But, um, I don't think I'm it's just... a bug. I think that this is – I think Gameloft is gaming the system. I mean, look, any company that just rips everybody off, you can't have a whole lot of love for a company like that. Even if they make yeah. really good games, if you're yeah. just stealing from everybody, you've already got some moral and, you know, there's some issues there. Well, I presume their their defense of it would be, well, you know, you're playing it on a different device, you've got to buy a different copy. But, you know, that that 
That goes it's against the not, iOS platform. It's just, it's just not the way it's done. I mean, I'm I'm just looking on Apple's site. There's a support there's a support document here about in app purchases. So it says transferring in in app purchase subscriptions and replenishable in app purchases cannot be transferred or synced to another iOS device. There you go. So they're treat it's basically they're treating it like a, a one off subscription. Yes. So effectively, that is per device. Yep. So they are they are kind of exploiting that because obviously it's not a subscription. It's not a recurring charge like a magazine or something else. It is a one-off. So they are they are exploiting Apple's system to make you make you buy multiple copies. I think that's crappy. I'm not yeah. happy about it. Um, Considering the amount of money GameLoft makes from iOS, it's, this is it's a six ninety nine game too. Yeah, but it's pretty poor because you know they're they're well known as being one of the iOS success stories, yep. and they know that the volume is there. There's no need for them. To I think do they're anything. I think they're spitting in their own face, and I think they're going to have a big backlash. And quite honestly, I hope it starts right here and right now, David. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you were talking about the game, and you know I love RTS games. I was thinking about buying it. Now I'm not going to. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. I'm not even going to look at it. No, it's uh, and I love RTS games. And if I knew that this was the case before I unlocked it, I never would have gave them my seven bucks. Yeah. I feel totally ripped off. Now, it's not even about the cost. It really isn't. Um, it's about the, no, the idea that this is my content that I'm buying for on my iTunes account, and I should be able to enjoy it on any of my iOS devices. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same argument as ripping a DVD. Yep. Which in the past the movie industry has said, no, there's absolutely no way you can do that. You can't rip a DVD and enjoy it on an, on another of your devices. And uh, of course now they're, they're they're starting to move away from that, but kind of kicking and screaming. This is the same sort of thing. And one of the worries about this is that what does it mean for the Mac App Store if these sorts of practices start becoming adopted over there? All of a sudden our uh, computing platform fundamentally starts to change well you know the darn well the, the computer industry or the software industry is going to do that hey you want to buy um, whatever the app may be you download it and oh it was a free download but you have to unlock it within the app for x number of dollars and oh by the way you can't install this on your other computers you can still download it but it's not unlocked it's yeah. going to happen and i think this is a very disturbing trend that may have started earlier and it just escaped my notice. But as far as I know, um, this is the first time this little insidious thing has reared its ugly head. Because they don't have to distribute the app in that way. Nope. You, they could pay, you could pay you six ninety nine and get a full unlock copy. And they could have a light version that was free and would point you towards in-app purchase for the full version if you wanted to upgrade. So they don't have to... Uh, do it via an app only. That's right. But that they don't have a buy the six ninety nine unlocked version in iTunes. It's always a free download, and then you unlock it. So, yeah, they're gaming the system. They're stealing content and ideas from everybody else in the entire gaming world. It's a despicable practice, and I've lost all respect, and I didn't have a lot to begin with. And I have a lot of their games, but unless Gameloft reverses this practice, they're not getting another dime from me. Yeah, well I can only hope that, that I mean, if this is the first game they've done like this that it's not a success. And they, I don't have all their games, but I've mistakes. never seen one like this before from them. No. You know, I can, I can, I understand if it's, 
I've got a full version, and hey, look, for 99 cent, I can unlock a, unpl- a you know a new character within the game. And yeah. okay, fine, it doesn't work on my other devices. I get that, but not unlocking the entire game, effectively purchasing the game, and then only tying it to one device. That's really, really, really bad. I'm I'm, I'm really pissed off about it. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. So let's move on. Um, one more thing I wanted to cover. You remember we talked about our favorite tech gear. Oh, what was that? Maybe four or five episodes ago? I th- yeah. I think it was before Macworld Expo, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Neil Wharton wrote in uh, a real nice letter. I sent that over to you on Skype. You want to read you that? Did. Yeah. yeah, sure. He says... Um, and the reason that I sent it to you to read is because he's English, too. So. He's English, yeah. <laughs> he says, got your message through the podcast about ask, asking about my favorite all-time gadget in computer history. I will put together a small audio recording and email it over you, to you about my IT history. Well, that, that's something to look forward to. That would yeah, be interesting. I yeah. definitely want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. One of my key moments was my first machine. I was an Atari 8-bit fan. Yes, I still have it, and many more besides... Atari 400, 800, 800XL, 130XE. <laughs> you get the idea. I did venture also onto the Atari ST, but nowhere near as interesting. So, uh, yeah, those I, I never used those. Eight, I, I'd seen the ST, but I never used the 8-bit machines. So, uh, so, so that is interesting. So I wonder whether it would make a good tech fan or geeky show ever with me on along with Owen Rubin, Rubin, Rubin you know, Mr. Atari. That, that would be an idea I would like. Though Here's the problem, though. Is he's in the UK and Owen is in California, so that's yeah. a huge time difference. I don't know how eight they hours, would work. Eight yeah. hours, yeah. So yeah. they would have to try and work that out. Yep. But we could really geek out about the Ataris; they were superb. Yeah. Did you know that George Lucas, via Lucasfilm Games, wrote several games for the Eight Bit, which he was present at, and made some of the production decisions: Rescue on Thraxlus, Ball Blazer, Coronis Rift, and so on. Mention these game names to Owen and see how excited he gets. <laughs> The strange thing is all the character and good times I got from the Atari, I'm starting to relive with the Mac, as there is the same sort of camaraderie between users and software vendors. The software available has an air of real users about it, rather than the very corporate feel I got from PC software. Personally, I think it would make a great show, but between Owen and I, you may not get a word in. <laughs> That's true. That's, that is true, yeah. They're both... Uh, they're that both that might be a talkers. good geekiest show ever, just to put those two together and let them rough on that industry for a while. Yeah, he says now. Now, so what he got, what he talks on next, I, I I kind of identify with because when I first got into computing, I saw some of this stuff as well. He says, apart from the Atari, I've been in the IT industry all my working life. So I started work when we were on punch cards and paper tape, <laughs> which were on machines with magnetic core store memory. I remember seeing magnetic core memory. Yep. Disc packs and reel-to-reel backup tape drives that were the size of washing machines. They were six-bit machines. I'm still in the industry today, and we are now working entirely on virtual servers, delivering applications over Citrix. How times change. Yeah, I, I, funnily enough, I, I got an opportunity to go around a very big corporate day center early on this week, and it really blew my mind. And, and again, it, I did think about how things have changed from you know, when a single hard drive was, was a kind of a, a, a machine the size of four or five VCRs stacked together, yep. and that was like a two, two megabyte hard drive. The rest of it's more uh, personal, so we won't get yeah, into the rest of yeah. his email. But, you know, the uh, there's still something about the Atari name. Now, obviously, the company that's Atari today is not the same company that was Atari back in the 70s and 80s. 
But no. there's still, I think, a value. Uh, maybe it's just nostalgic feelings, but there's something about Atari that still kind of rings special to me. Well, they have a, a pedigree. Yeah, you maybe know, that's they, what they, it is. The Atari, Atari name, I mean, they were Atari was instrumental in starting the the video gaming revolution. And, of course, the, you know, the, the guy who started Atari invented one of the very first video games, Pong. And, um, you know, the... Uh, their their early arcade games really were market leaders, and and of course they had the the twenty six hundred, the VCS, which was the first really big home computer home gaming system. It was huge. You know, oh, I I, re- well, I I remember going around to somebody's house. This this must have been seventy eight, seventy nine, something like that. A friend of mine's house, and they had a VCS and Space Invaders. Oh yes. Yeah, and and the thing is, you, you play it on the TV, and it was so close to what you played in the arcades, and yet you could play as many games as you wanted. It really was, um, it really was something else. And from that point on, I wanted one. And and here's how here's how a career can be shaped by a single decision. My father said to me, he said, "Well, you know what? I understand you you like those things, but I'd rather buy you a computer rather than a games machine. So I'm going <laughs> to buy you a computer instead." Uh, and of course, that's that's uh, kind of shaped my career from that point onwards. That's funny. Wow. Yeah. And who knew? I mean, had he bought you just the Atari, where yeah. would you be today? I'd probably still be sat drooling on a couch somewhere. Well, we're going to talk. Video yeah, well, <laughs> like I was this morning. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about. Uh, I think it was kind of a fun article up at the Technologizer website by Benji Edwards. He talks about the 15 classic game console design mistakes. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, We'll talk about that in a second, but uh, hold on a second. We'll be right back. You know, David, we've had some heavy shows. In fact, a lot of them have been pretty heavy, minus maybe the uh, the Macworld Expo coverage that we did here on TechFan. Yeah. Kind of heavy, you know, highbrow, In- if you will, intellectual. In- industry portent. <laughs> Got to have a little fun sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, uh, let's, let's revisit Twitter here for a second. Um, I sent out a tweet, I don't know, maybe a week and a half ago. Uh, let me scroll down. Yeah, it was uh, kind of late to... Uh, no, I guess it was like February 11th. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm instead of trying to remember exactly what I said, David, I'm just going to click and see if I can read it. And the problem is I send a lot of tweets out there. So, so here I am. It says, maybe I'm alone here, but I honestly don't get the whole Angry Birds thing. I have yeah. it. It's okay, but a great game, not even. I got a lot of replies to that, David. I mean, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, I'm with you. I don't get it." <laughs> it's um, it's almost like a. It is a kind of a. It's a bit like Apple and Microsoft. You have the people who like Angry Birds and the people who don't. I'm not saying well, I don't like it. I'm just saying I don't get why it's so popular. I think the thing is, is that 
I mean, as a game, I, I'm quite a big fan. I've played a lot of Angry Birds. As a game, it's not perfect because, for me, there is a little bit of a luck element to completing some of the levels. Um, but but in terms of a an execution of a crystal clear concept, I think it's pretty good, really. And the physics engine in it is is really very very well done. So I and and it, ha, it has that one of the great things about about some iOS games, it has that real dip in and out value. You know, you have a couple of minutes, you can just drop into it and play a couple of levels, and then come out when it when you when you're done. I don't know. Yeah. It's just a flinging across the the screen, and there's been a thousand games before Angry Birds that I thought the mechanics were actually better at with better graphics. Yeah, I, I think the the way the way I mean, it's it's very cheekily presented, um, and I think it's. I mean, the guy who the the guys who created it clearly are, you know, pretty aggressive marketers, and I think that's part of the success as well. Well, I think, mm. I think they may be going a bit too far now with talking about cartoon deals and movies and comics and you well know. hey get the money while you can i, I don't <laughs> right. have a problem with that but what i have a problem with is i think they're taking it a little bit too serious now you know what i mean yeah it's, it's like maybe. it relaxes just a game it's a good one fine i don't get the popularity of it but whatever but just relax <laughs> it's just a game uh i had a lot of people dj am tracks says i agree M. Loiterman says, not alone, feel the same way. Um, Neil Wharton said, I'm with you, Angry Birds didn't even, or don't even have it. <laughs> well, how can you even agree with him if you don't have it? <laughs> Come on, Neil. <laughs> oh, it's the internet. you got to at Every, least have Everyone's it. like that on the internet. <laughs> uh, Scott T.A.W., you're not alone. Uh, Tom Dar 2, you're not alone. <laughs> Uh, Apple Hacks, which is Chris Seabolt, says it's like Ski Ball, mindless fun. Unlike Ski Ball, Angry Birds is hardware to weaponize. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot. I mean, I got a lot of people. Um, BD Grandy says, same here. I own it. I like it. It's no plants versus zombies. Ooh, I think uh, that kind of sums it up right there, doesn't it? I do like plants versus zombies as well. Speak. Yeah, my son, my son is crazy excited that it's coming to the DS. Really? So much so that I actually, because he's 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 not been well recently, so I actually pre-ordered it for him in front of him yesterday. And blimey, was he was he elated? Really? <laughs> he can't wait. I it's mean, a good game. Yeah, he but absolutely adores it. Here's the problem, though. It it came out about a year ago, right? Maybe a yeah. little longer even. And it hasn't. They've done nothing with it. Yeah. Other well, than I remove think, the Michael Jackson character. But you see, I think that's the difference between them and the guys who do Angry Birds. I mean, the Angry Birds guys have constantly updated, refined, done new versions, done different kind of themes and that sort of thing. Kept the uh, hype to, going. Keep, yeah, to keep it fresh in people's minds and kind of keep, yeah, to keep keep the buzz going. Whereas Plants of Zombies is like, yeah, here we are, we've got a big hit. And, um, you know, I've... Who's to know? Maybe they're working on their next big game that's going to be even better than Plants vs. Zombies. But it would have been nice to see a little bit of uh, zombie love over the last year. Hey, you know, some downloadable characters, some, I don't know, something. I mean, yeah. th th it's wide open, but they've done absolutely nothing, like I said, other than remove the Michael Jack Jackson character. Yeah. Uh, we're going to make this an all Neil Wharton show. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I sent out a uh, tweet basically saying getting ready to podcast with David Cohen for tech fan. Anybody have any questions, anything like that? And he said via Twitter, how about David's new 11-inch MacBook Air? 
mm. uh, not the specs, et cetera, but the user experience and working with its small footprint. So first of all, uh, 11-inch MacBook Air, David? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, huh? I, I'm a very lucky boy. Um, I was um, I spotted actually Christmas Day that Apple had some pretty pretty sweet deals on their US refurb store. Uh, and my parents are in the states at the moment, so um, I mentioned this to my my dearly beloved who has to approve all Apple purchases nowadays. Um, and uh, As well she, went, she oh. should. Yes, and she went, "Oh, that's cheap." Uh, and um, then anyway, a couple of days later, she says, "Oh, have you ordered one then?" <laughs> so. Uh, as you might imagine, it's, when she said that, there was a small pop as the air which I'd been standing in, where, where I'd been standing, rushed in to replace my my vacated that, space as I headed for the computer. That sounds like explicit <laughs> approval to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Unless so, uh, you said it like this, have you bought one yet? <laughs> no, no, she didn't. So, <laughs> yeah, then uh, you're good. So, yeah, so I've, I've sold some other gear to pay for it, and because I've made a very good saving. It, it, it was quite a, quite a good deal. I got the 11-inch with the 128-gig driver on the 64-gig SSD, but with the stock 2-gig of RAM and the 1.4-gigahertz processor. So it's like one up from the base. And I think I paid um, it was just over $1,000 for that on the refurb store. That's not bad. So that's pretty good. And, of course, you know, because I'm buying it um, from the US, I didn't have to pay any taxes. Uh, I didn't have to pay any shipping charges because my father brought it back for me. And uh, and so, yeah, I got it for substantially less than I would pay for the equivalent machine here in the UK. Um, and I, I've got to say, I absolutely love it. It's yeah. one of the best one of the best computers I've ever had. And you know that I'd put an SSD in my 13-inch MacBook Pro. Yep. So I knew that SSD would, would make a great difference to the performance. On the on the MacBook Air, even though it's got slow processor, it seems to be even faster than the one of my my uh, MacBook Pro. It does seem very very snappy. Um, the the weight the lightness of it is incredible. I mean, I, I have it in a very small bag, and I was actually traveling. I traveled for two days on business this week, and it was just like I was barely carrying a notebook. Wow. Uh, you know, I mean, it was really really light. I actually got approached by several people in the airport. I was waiting to fly back on Wednesday. Who wanted to have a look at it because they couldn't believe it was a real computer, um, you know, because it was so light. In fact, one of those guys was the. Uh, they'd obviously not seen one through go through security in in Belfast before, because <laughs> they uh, they they have you take your laptops out as you bag when it goes through the X ray, uh, and they actually put it to one side and the guy came over to kind of have a look at it because because they'd never seen one before and, and he was saying he said well is it a proper computer or is it you know like a cut down computer i said no it does everything and i was using it in the cafe in the in the airport and i had two people come up to me and ask to have a look at it um so uh so yeah it, it's incredibly light it doesn't get warm at all um which is fantastic so you can use it on your lap for as long as you want the battery life is exceeding my expectations i'm getting about six or seven hours out of it on the typical charge is that keeping um, brightness up and everything yeah i have the brightness what's the bright i want to have the brightness up about two-thirds okay. which is is fine enough it's a very bright screen incredibly clear um the only criticism or not really a criticism the only thing i you sometimes struggle with because the the screen is 16 by 9 ratio um you can sometimes feel scrolling yeah, you on in the vertical. You can sometimes feel a little bit constrained when you're, you're viewing web pages, um, but but I've, I've kind of accommodated for that by turning the uh, the size of the text down in the browser, so that kind of has resolved that. Uh, the keyboard's fantastic. It's you know I mean it's full size, so uh, a little bit less travel than on a, a MacBook Pro, 
but but not so much you'd really notice. And uh, yeah, I, I I'm not really having any problems with it at all at the moment. I really think it's a great computer, and for the price. I mean, I think this is the, the, the real thing. I think it's why they're selling so many of them. They've taken what was their absolute top-of-the-range machine, including all the technology and the, and the real design flair that was in that. They've added more design flair to it with the SSD and everything, and then they've dropped it down so you can get into that machine at their very cheapest price. I, I mean, it's a masterstroke as far as I'm concerned. You know, um, as you know, I don't write a whole lot anymore for MyMac.com. Occasionally, I'll do a review and stuff like that. Um, most of the stuff I do at the site is editing other people's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Paying the bills and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and, of course, I podcast a lot. Yeah. So I, I've got the writer's itch again. And as a writer yourself, you understand what I mean by that. Yeah. And I actually started writing um, a book. And it's right. uh, not a tech book, anything like that. It's actually fiction. And it's it's been a project that I've been kind of playing around with in my head for a long time. I've had two, but this is the one that I think is easier to write. So I started with this one. And honestly, I, I'm at like page 60 or something like that at this point, which I think mm-hmm. is quite good. Yeah. And here's my issue. Um, I don't have a lot of success writing at home with, you know, the kids and – it's just too many distractions, if you will. Yeah. And so a lot of my time now is spent sitting alone in a hotel room when I get out of work in Chicagoland area. And I literally have five hours of sitting there doing nothing. Now, I was renting stuff from iTunes or watching Netflix, but I was really starting to feel extremely lazy um, intellectually, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. Just sitting there, not doing anything. I kept thinking... I, I, I should be doing something. This is just, I, I've got nothing but time sitting here, so I need to do something. And so I started writing. And uh, it's going real well, except I like to write with a laptop in my lap. And I'm finding that the 15-inch MacBook Pro is just a tad too big for it, to be honest, yeah. for any length of time. And it's also the problem in that um, the way I lay my hands an arm, forearms on the computer, I get lines on my forearm because of the edge of the computer. Yeah. So I'm wondering what your opinion is with the small MacBook Air. Do you think it would be a better solution for me or someone in my situation that wants to get back into writing to use something like that? Um, I think the only thing you'd the the pro the only problem you could have with the eleven inch is because it's only eleven inches, um, it can be tricky to balance in your lap. Really, you think it's almost too small? It's almost too small, and and because also well, it doesn't have a lot of it's quite light, so it it you know if you if you kind of it, if it's balanced and you tilt, you know it doesn't really resist that very much at all. Um, so so that's the only thing. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not really sure quite how you're you're sitting when you're talking you're kind of are you sat on your back or yeah sat up on sat no up no on no i'm sitting on a, i'm sitting on a couch you're sitting on a couch right yep. okay yeah that that might be only your only problem with i'll the have my inch. legs usually stretched out in front of me on a, a coffee table usually sitting right. on top okay of my okay. suitcase and you know um so it's, it's literally sitting in my lap the macbook pro the 15 inch 
I don't mind typing on it. It's not the best machine I've ever used to type. I, that would have to go to the uh, lumbar G3. Mm-hmm. Um, but it literally hurts my forearms after you know an hour because it's this this very sharp edge aluminum. It's not yeah. comfortable. And I thought, well, the way that the MacBook Air tapers down, uh, it's got yeah, almost that- a full-size keyboard. I could probably get used to it fairly quickly. And I don't want just to add a Bluetooth keyboard to my iPad. I don't no. want to write like that with my iPad. I don't think it would be well, good. Yeah, and, and not only that, I don't think that will... If you're sitting down like that, that, that wouldn't work really well because you'd have to support the iPad somewhere where you could see it. Well, you could get one of those cases that have the built-in keyboard. Yeah, I don't I don't think that'd be great. I don't uh, think I so, mean, but no, because I, I also have to remove it out of there often because I don't want to use it any other time. Yeah. In that case except where when I'm typing. Well, you you could use you could use a, an ordinary Apple Bluetooth keyboard. Um, yes, but then again, not, not we... taking it out of a case, but but you you know, it, it I I I mean, I have a I have a Bluetooth keyboard, a folding Bluetooth keyboard for my iPad. Yeah. Um that I do use occasionally sometimes when I when you know, I'm traveling ultralight. Um but uh, I, I'm not sure that if you're if you're kind of sitting with your with your lap sort of thing, then I don't think that would that would work really well at all. The iPad might work better if you could get used to typing directly on the screen. Yeah, I can't do but, that. But you know, I mean, it's probably not ideal for no. for a, a long a long writing. I, I yeah, I think the only, I mean, in terms of the edges of the of the MacBook Air, while they're they're not as sharp as the MacBook, and they Pros, taper down too. Yeah, they do. Um, so, so you you probably have less issue with that, um, but with the eleven, I'm just I'm just wondering whether it would how how well it would actually sit in your lap, how comfortable that would be. Uh, I'm not so sure. But you so might you think be that the thirteen? But here's the problem: I carry in the rollerway bag that my computer's in when I'm going to Chicago and stuff. In that bag is the power cable for my computer. The computer itself, my iPad, a couple little odds and ends, and now I'm going to add yet another computer in there. Mm. You see what I mean? That's yeah. why the 11, because I've seen the 11, I've got to play with it, and I didn't put it in my lap or anything, but I'm just amazed at how small it is and it how is. capable it seems, especially for what I'm talking about doing. I mean, I can get a 20-year-old computer to do what I'm, you know, just writing. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I... Yeah. I'm really at a crossroads. I don't know. The thir- Here's my problem, David. At, at the 13-inch, it seems like I'm spending too much money just for ostensibly yeah. a machine I'm going to be writing on. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when I get rich and famous, when the book, book hits you know, the New York Times bestseller list, that's you know, immaterial. But <laughs> yeah. I, I've, got to, I've got to admit, if I were in your position, I wanted to just have a machine for writing. I might be tempted to try and pick up a... A 12-inch powerbook from somewhere. Mm, no, they're not good no. writing machines for me. Uh, no. I, I've used one quite a bit. and uh, no. no, the only reason that I'm thinking about something different other than the MacBook Pro is simply the, uh, the comfort the level yeah. and the weight. The weight is going to be yeah. huge. Uh, the MacBook Pro actually starts getting a little warm after a while in my lap, and I have to literally stop writing for a while. And that's yeah. usually exactly at the point where I don't want to stop. Yeah, and this, this certainly doesn't have that problem. Yeah, that's. I just keep coming back to that, thinking, you know, I think it would be almost a perfect writer's machine. I could connect to the internet. I could send my stuff up. Um, if I'm doing a review, I could get it posted. I could do everything pretty much, except for any graphics works or anything that I need my physical media for. I could do on a MacBook Air. 
Uh, well, even with even with physical media, I mean, you can you you can carry an external drive for for, for all. Of yeah, that. but I'm at that point. It, it's you know, it's I I mean, in terms of horsepower, I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised by how good it is. It runs uh, parallels with a copy of Windows XP, perfectly fine. I did have a a slight problem the first time I ran up parallels because I copied up I copied the image from my MacBook Pro to here. Of course, I forgot my MacBook Pro has 8 gigs of RAM in. So <laughs> Windows was set to use 4 gigs of RAM. And, of course, when you then fire that off from a machine that only has 2 physical gigs in total, you end up with a lockup, which is what I did. But after I'd fixed that, that was fine. Um, and it runs uh, XP perfectly fine in the background while I'm doing other things, even though it's only got the 1.4 gigahertz processor. The uh, show that I did last week was edited in GarageBand on the MacBook Air. Really? Um, yeah. No problems whatsoever. Didn't have any stuttering. Didn't have any lockups. Didn't have any of those weird, oh, you need to come out of GarageBand and come back type of er errors at all. So, um, you know, it, it literally, at the moment, it's doing everything I ask of it without complaining at all. Well, I'd like to put this out to the audience. What do you guys think? Should I just suck it up and use the 15-inch uh, MacBook Pro? Uh, it's about a year and a half old. Um and quite honestly, this is kind of my main workhorse, even over and above my 24-inch iMac or 27-inch iMac at home, which is the i7. Uh, that kind of just sits there, you know. When I'm at home, that's what I use, but I don't usually tend to write on it too much. So really, my MacBook Pro is my workhorse at this point. I'm thinking of upgrading this when the new machines come out within a month or so. And sell the MacBook Pro that I have currently and get a Air with the process, with the proceeds. Um, or do you guys have a better idea? I would love to hear your ideas. Feedback at MyMac.com. Better yet, if you're a writer and you found a certain, I don't know, keyboard or how will you write, uh, you've got any ideas for me, send us some audio feedback. You can use any phone to call this number and leave up some uh, audio feedback. It's one 801-938-5559. 1-801-938-5559. Or you can send an audio file to the feedback at mymac.com email address. Record it on your phone with the voice memo. Hit send and it comes right to me. So Here's the, here's the thing on that, Tim. I'm going to set you some research homework for next week. Okay. Okay. And just look up Alpha Smart. Alpha Smart. Alpha Smart, all one word. And then um, you you go have a look at it, and next week well, hopefully we'll have some feedback on this, and then I'll talk to you about Alpha Smart. Uh, I'm gonna, i got to bring it up on this. I'm not finding it. AlphaSmart.com? Uh, if you just do a Google do a search. Part, yeah. Uh, I'll do a search now, but I won't look at it right now. So let's take our last break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about that uh, the Technologizer 15 Classic Game Console Design Mistakes article that uh, I found, kind of, I don't know, kind of amusing. And uh, we'll see what David thinks. We'll be right back. Fifteen classic game console design mistakes. You know, before we get to that, I just want to give a shout out to Harry McCracken and the crew over at the Technologizer website. I know they have some kind of a partnership now with uh, Time.com, so that's kind of cool. 
we were one of the very first uh, websites to interview Harry when he launched the Technologizer. We brought him on the MyMac show, and uh, he was back there, I think, twice now. I had him on OWC Radio. I don't think I had him on TechFan, though, but maybe I did. No, but he's, he's, one of the, um, he's one of the great guys of the tech industry. Yes, he's a hell of a nice guy. Yes, he he's a nice guy, but also he's an absolutely top-notch journalist, and yep. you always get balanced coverage from him. But he also provides some very entertaining... Like, he's got some... Uh, let's see, this is a... Da, 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 pictures of classic computer advertising. Mm. And that was a great idea. Yeah. And he keeps coming up with these things that I find really interesting. I don't know, link bait, you think? Or <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, let's face it. Um, it's one of the old standards of of uh, the media is to do a list. Yes. Yeah. And most lists are rubbish. Yes. You know, fifteen reasons why Apple needs to change CEO, or <laughs> ten reasons why. President Obama is actually a Republican, or and it they're, and they're kind of a they're a a, a really lousy tool for um, somebody to start spouting off some of their weirder ideas. But what Harry does is he uses that uh, you know somewhat hackneyed um, uh, form to actually present something really really interesting and really kind of stimulate the thought. And, and this article we're going to talk about really was I, I enjoyed so much reading it when you sent me the link. It was great. So uh, they basically give us 15 classic game console design mistakes. That doesn't necessarily mean 15 different consoles, but 15 mistakes that they found with certain game consoles. And they go way back. And the first one is the RCA Studio 2 from 1977, which, to be honest, David, I don't have this. I know that's crazy because I've got a lot of old consoles and stuff. But... uh, I don't really even remember this one, to be honest. It's, I have a vague memory of this weird-looking console. Well, you know, uh, I mean, late 70s, early 80s, there was a lot of consoles out. It was it was the, the height of the boom, so it was easy to miss them. I'd not, I've not come across, even though I was, you know, spending my summers in the States from kind of 79 onwards, I, I never came across this one, so... Uh, I can't really uh I can't really talk with any sort of experience about it. The first thing with this one was that the controllers are actually a number key on the console itself which it's 1 through 0. So you've got, you know, three rows of 3 and then a 0 at the end. Um yeah, I can't imagine that that's a very fun software uh a controller, I should say. That's... No, yeah, you couldn't. You apparently couldn't take them out at all. You could. You just had to use the console. So you got to huddle around this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it also ran power through the RF switch, which sounds like a really bad idea. Well, I've got to be honest with you. When when um, when we started spending time in the states, um, coming from the UK, well, I mean, UK TVs are very very. We use a slightly different standard over here. But they were very, very simple. They had a very simple um, uh, coaxial connection on the back, which is where the aerial went in. Right. And so when games consoles came out, they basically just had a um, the same connection, and you just kind of pulled the aerial out and put the um, the games console aerial in, and then you got switches and that sort of thing. When we first started 
going, spending time in the States and trying to figure out how to hook a games console up to an American TV, it was it was like something out of an electronics shop. I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> these these RF switches with the little tiny screw things, and oh, it was just terrible. like it was bizarre. It was just like I, I, I thought to myself, how can anybody ever connect anything to these TVs? You know, it was just insane. And every TV you got seemed to be slightly different. Well, you'd have two on each TV. You'd have a UHF on one side and a VHS on the other, and VH no VHF, and oh, they were terrible, absolutely. And most of them had a little rocker switch, the little these little uh, plugs, so you can go to the game console or your antenna. They're terrible. Yeah, but that's the way it but, was. But rooting power through it is an even more terrible. Idea. Oh yes, because if because you lose that, is, you don't well, even have power. Yeah. But not only that, because it was always dangling off the back of the TV, it was the easiest thing to either get rip the cables off or smash it with the Hoover or something like that. It was the you know all you need is somebody to trip over the wires to the games console and the thing was toast. Oh, it's terrible. Mattel in television, nineteen seventy nine. Problem number three. <laughs> have you ever played in a television? I David? have. I have had oh. the dubious pleasure. You know, the thing is, the weird thing is, and uh, looking through this list, I remember thinking that a lot of these problems actually boiled down to the same thing, which was great idea, lousy execution. Mm, um, so, you know, the, the, yeah, because the, the controllers on the television, it was like a disc. Yes. Uh, and, and it was a 16 With a number disc pad above it. With a number pad above it. And the number pad was one of those horrible kind of... Um, air-filled button things that would wear yep. out very quickly. Yep. Yeah, but that was okay because you didn't really use the number pad that often in the games. It was all about the disc. And the, there was some stiff buttons on the side that were also pretty nasty too. But the, the problem with the disc, it was 16-way sensitive, which you think about it, for well, compared to what uh, Atari ended up doing, which was something much more primitive, was quite sophisticated. The difficulty was it was so cheaply designed and built that um, it just it would just wouldn't register, and you never really knew which direction you were actually going in. Nope. And because it was so insensitive, because it was actually cheaply made underneath, you would end up flipping between different directions, and then the games wouldn't work properly because your controller wouldn't uh, wouldn't do what you wanted it to do. One of the things they don't mention in here was that the controllers for the Intellivision itself had a corded cord on it that was kind of springy, and yeah. so you're sitting kind of far like, away from it. And like, you, a t- it like a phone cord. Yes, yes. And, it, and it's pulling it out of your hand almost. And then you forget about that. You loosen your grip for just a second and the damn <laughs> controller goes flying across the room. Yeah. Oh, I hated it. It was this. But here's the funny thing. The, the games were great. You just yeah. couldn't actually play them. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, really, it was a much better system than the Atari. Oh, but, absolutely. Uh, well, it wasn't it, a success. The games were better than a lot of the games in the Atari. It was technically a lot better, but um, you know, it, it just didn't succeed because of partly because of the controllers. The Atari fifty two hundred nineteen eighty two, and again we come back to an analog joystick that just didn't work. You know, yeah, here's I'm, the thing: it it, it didn't self center. Now that sounds like what do I mean by that? It, it sounds like a. a a common sense thing when you let go of the controller the stick itself should self-center but it didn't self-center <laughs> yeah and the, the the real problem with this one actually was i mean analog sticks are, are they're kind of for the games of the day they were a bit pointless because the, all the games were all digital 
Yep. So, you know, you, you you were either moving or you weren't moving. So the sensitivity of having an analog stick was a bit of a waste of time anyway. But also what they did is the, the whole joystick was kind of encased in this big rubber coating. Just like the Atari kind of, 2600. Yeah, but, but it was because the, the joystick itself was much stumpier, you kind of felt the coating more. So that, and I, I think what they were aiming for was the kind of the rubber would self-center the stick, but it just didn't work very well, particularly once the controllers were, were aged a bit. Um, and uh, and yeah, so you ended up in this situation again where you wanted precision, you wanted to be able to go in a certain direction, and the joystick just wasn't up to the job. And I think, again, what a, kind of the point I was saying before is it was a good idea, but then by the time it had been through um, uh, engineering cost reduction, um, the idea had been destroyed by the fact it was so poorly implemented. Oi. Um, I guess sticking with the 5200, again, power through the RF switch. Again, I, we already covered that, but hello. Yeah. The Atari 7800 from 1984, inferior audio capabilities. Um, this was this was really. I'm, I never actually saw one of these systems. I actually I, own one at home, but I've never actually turned. And I turned it on just to make sure it worked when I bought it, but I've never actually played a game on it. The, the seventy eight hundred was kind of when Atari was going off the rails, uh, anyway. But uh, but yeah, to, to to basically give a, I mean the fifty two hundred was better graphically than the twenty six hundred, and the seventy eight hundred was better again, but yep. they all had the same sound chip. Yes, and the, and anybody who remembers the noise of the Atari twenty six hundred will know. Terrible that sound of music was not its forte. <laughs> they also don't mention the controller, but the controller was just terrible, yeah. just terrible. The Nintendo, the original NES from nineteen eighty five, and they call it the Blinkies. Oh my God, I remember that so well. You put the game in, in the slot, push it down, and it would just blink. It wouldn't actually work. You'd eject the game. <laughs> Blow inside the cartridge, put it back, set it down. Oh, it was a terrible design choice to, to have it a front-loading slot, if you will, behind this little door for the NES. Yeah. And I, I, I think I got carpal tunnel blowing syndrome from <laughs> pulling games out of that stupid thing and blowing in it. Did you, did you ever have an NES? I didn't have an NES, but I, do, I knew people who had it, and I knew they had this problem all the time. Oh. You know, uh, and in fact, I, I knew people who had bottles of rubbing alcohol. Because the, 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 whenever you get these problems, you get all this kind of mythical voodoo about how to, yep. how to solve it, you know. I don't know if um, blowing on it actually worked or not. But... I don't think it did because it was a, it was a worn connector issue, basically. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I don't think blowing on it actually did apply a bit different apart <laughs> from make you feel you did something else. I knew somebody who had a bottle of rubbing alcohol used to clean the contacts every time you put the games in because yep. he thought it was uh, corrosion on the... Uh, on the game, on the contacts, it was, and and again, not a problem that a problem that's occurred time and time again through history. My first computer, which was a, a Sinclair ZX eighty one, little tiny um, Z eighty processor machine, only came with one kilobyte of RAM, which obviously wasn't enough to do very much at all. But you could buy a sixteen kilobyte RAM pack for it that just kind of went to an edge connector on the back. Um, the problem was, anytime you it had a kind of a membrane type keyboard, but if you flexed the computer too much, the <laughs> RAM pack would move and would disconnect from the motherboard and reset the entire thing. <laughs> so you would lose the program. You might have been typing for three, four oh, hours. Oh, wow. So yeah. we always had bits of blue tack and kind of uh, sandwich napkins and all this sort of thing kind of round this RAM pack to try and keep it still, you know. 
Um, so yes, a, a common problem. I remember in 1993 when Atari released the Jaguar, and a lot of people, me included at the time, thought this is going to be Atari's return to greatness. Uh, I remember seeing the ads, the graphics looked amazing. Uh, Sega and Nintendo were the king of the hill, but here comes Atari, one last ditch effort, and they couldn't have made it worse if they tried. <laughs> uh, it, it's like they didn't learn anything in their entire history on how to build a game controller uh, and a game console that's worth a damn. It may have been one of the worst controller designs ever. It had a 12-button rubber numeric keypad. keypad. This was 1993. Yeah. This this wasn't the the 70s and the 80s. This was the 90s. What, what the heck was that? <laughs> I just clicked on the link and got a uh, a video of the um of the of the of the Jaguar advertising. It was Sorry. cool in 93, man. Uh, yeah, I mean it, yeah, the ads look great. But the, yeah, and the you games know. actually were pretty cool, but well, and, the, you and they had, play yeah, them. they they had some games that were um, you know, very close to arcade quality. Uh, and you could get Doom on it. Yes. You know, so, uh, but, but yeah, the controller, it looks like it was designed by a committee of really bad engineers. And it was a 24 <laughs> pin connector. And I just remember uh, uh, the big thing back then was controllers were breaking all the time. Not the controller itself, but where you plug it in, they were bending and breaking, and oh, it was terrible. Um, yeah. Sega Saturn, 1994. The problem with the Saturn really was there really wasn't a lot of companies that made games for it. Well, the the reason, I mean, the Saturn was competing with the PlayStation. Yep. Uh, and and the, the problem was is that the PlayStation had a really killer development kit for it. You could get a special custom modified PlayStation from Sony when you signed up for their uh, development program that would hook into a computer. You could download the games to and from the PlayStation to test them. You, uh, they gave you loads and loads of support, um, a really good software library, and it was it was really quite easy to develop very good games for it, whereas the Saturn was just impossible to program for. And so nobody would program for it because the, the game development time was double what it was for any other system. You know, here's the thing that Saturn... Um like every Sega system that came before had a lot of hype and marketing behind it. But this pretty much spelled, I mean, it wasn't the last one, but it, it pretty much should have been. Yeah, um, it was, it was, it was very much their, um, you know, their, their decline. Yeah. Um, the, there was this, was the Dreamcast come after this? Yes, the Dreamcast was the last yeah, one. Yeah, and the Dreamcast was what, what really finished them off. But the Saturn was effectively was an arcade box in a console. Yep. Um, yep. Had a lot of capabilities, but... Yeah. The problem was, you had to be an arcade programmer. The only decent games that ever came out for it came out from the guys who ported their arcade games. You know, I mean, you could get um, Virtua Fighter and um, Daytona and stuff like that for it. It was all coming out of Sega themselves from their arcade division, but nobody else could do anything useful with it. Sad. Uh, Nintendo Nintendo Virtual Boy 1995. Did you ever use a Virtual Boy? You know, I always wanted one because I always thought it looked really cool. <laughs> it, it, it did look really cool. The problem was it was this red monochrome display, uh, kind of this faux 3D thing, and it was very awkward because you had to set this thing on a table and it had this almost like a tripod 
or tripod, but not quite, kind of the L-shaped legs. Mm. And uh, it didn't fit. You had to fit yourself to it. It didn't fit itself to you. Yeah. But the problem was everyone got massive headaches every time they used it. Yeah. I mean, the thing you think about it is it was, it was using kind of like scanning LEDs. And just back then, I don't think the refresh rates were high enough. Um, plus, it was doing 3D. The reason I always wanted one is because I used to love the um, vector graphics games from the early arcades. Yep. You know, Asteroids and Battlezone and... And and Owen would know all about those because he programmed he programmed a game for uh, for the Atari Vector system. He knew the guy did uh, Battlezone as well. Um, so I always loved those sort of games. I and mean, this look, kind of looked like a 3D version of that. So I always thought it looked really cool, but it was awkward. You, when you saw it in the store, you realised how awkward it was. And uh, it was as you start hearing the stories of the uh, of the headaches. Then um, and it, it wasn't that cheap from what I remember either. No, it wasn't. The next one was the Nintendo 64 from 1996. Now, in this article, he says the stubborn reliance on cartridge media. And I get why they say that, but, David, if you remember back in the video games in the mid-'90s that were CD-based, it took forever to load a game. Yeah. Forever. I actually found that Nintendo sticking with cartridges for the Nintendo 64, for me, was a selling point because the damn thing would launch games immediately. I mean... yeah. Compared to the uh, PS1 and the, oh, it, there was no, it was so much faster. But the thing is, is that, uh, you know, I, 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 the other problem I kind of had with the, with what they've said here is that if you think about it, there's still plenty of games consoles today that use cartridges. Yep. Uh, are used, that use ROM. I mean, all the all the handhelds do, the, well, the, apart from the Sony one, but the D, <coughs> excuse me, the DS does. All of the all of the Game Boy ones have, um, you know that it's not that it's not that the cartridges are, are bad per se. It was just at the time it was competing with a um, CD with a with a, with the CD on on the Sony PlayStation. And they um, try to make the the case that look a CD held six hundred fifty megabytes, and the cartridge could only hold sixty four megabytes. Thus, you're going to get much better games on the CD. Well, you know what? We really didn't. Not until we got to no. DVD with the PS2, and yeah. we got games like GTA and you know Soul Calibur and all those. When you go back into the mid '90s, who had the best games? Nintendo and the Nintendo. on the 64, and they yes. all ran on a 64 megabyte cartridge. Su- yeah, Super Mario 64, Legend of Zelda. You know these were these are games that are still talked about today. Right. You know, I mean, as big as the Sony PlayStation was, people talk about the modern iterations of PlayStation games, but they don't really talk about the, the actual original. There's nobody going out there saying, I want to play the original PlayStation version of, of you know, Wipeout. No. Nope. Or, or whatever the big games were, you know, some of the big games from Absolutely. the early days of the PlayStation. No, nobody wants to go play those old you know? PS1 games. Most yeah. people don't even want to play most of the PS2 games at this point. Yeah. But there's a nostalgic factor and a fun factor with those old N64 games. Do you remember the first Mario 64, where yeah, it was kind of a third that 3D world or a, it, 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 I, it's my my son's playing it at the moment on the DS. They did a version yeah. for the DS recently. Yeah, and I he got it absolutely too. Absolutely loves it. And and you know, it, one of the best games going at the moment, I still think, is Super Mario Galaxy. I think it's one of the perfect yep, games. I agree. And and it is. 
effectively is Super Mario 64 on steroids. Yes, with better you graphics know? and sound. Yeah. and But but the core concepts are still Super Mario 64, and that's a game that came out 10 years ago. It, it holds up completely. 10 yeah. years ago, it came out longer than that. That was it? Yeah, that was 13, 14 years ago at this wow. point. Wow. Um, I thought it was a great game. I still do. Yeah. yeah. Um, my daughter still plays it. I've got it on the Wii through the virtual console, you know, that thing they yeah. have on there. She plays it on there. Mm-hmm. And it, it holds up fine. It doesn't yeah. look as good as, like, Mario Sunshine and stuff like that, but it, it works great. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that that was a design, design mistake on Nintendo's no, part. No, it's more, more, of a, more of a marketing problem, I think. I think I totally agree with you. Yeah. Nintendo Game Boy Advance 2001... The problem is incredibly dark, non-backlit backlit screen. Yeah, that's kind of a problem when you can't see yeah, it. I uh, I would I had a Game Boy Advance, one of these models, and in fact, I spent. Um, I, I actually ended up buying a backlight kit for it. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I seeing took, those. Yeah, I took the um, I took the screen, just the kind of the screen cover off, and you could put this kind of perspex block in that, that then was lit from the side. It was a bit clunky, but it it massively improved the device. And it, it wasn't it wasn't on the market for that long before they came out with a um, the second version which was backlit. Yep. Microsoft Xbox, the original from two thousand and one. The problem is the big honking controller, and they're absolutely right. The first controller that came out with the Xbox was huge. Kids, little kids, couldn't even play on the thing. They, <laughs> they couldn't hold the controller. Well, they could hold it, but they couldn't use buttons and their thumbs at the same time. I mean, it was massive. But we know, the thing is, that we, this is Microsoft. We know it takes Microsoft three tries to get anything right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and the last one, which, as a parent, <laughs> I, I totally see why this is a problem. Nintendo Game Boy Advanced SP, no built-in headphone jack. Hello? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's worse than that. They had an adapter, but the problem is it went into the power connector, yes. which meant you couldn't <laughs> you could charge, charge the thing while you were using headphones. Uh, it's like, really? No headphone jack? Um, every Nintendo executive who came up with that idea should have had a 12-hour car ride with their children playing the game system. And uh, how badly do you want a headphone jack in it now? Huh? How bad? Yeah. It's the it's the stock um, it's the stock call in our house. Whenever Alexander is playing on the DS, it's Alexander. Turn the sound off. Yep, yep. Brooke, Brooke, <laughs> turn the sound down on the iPhone. Turn it down. Turn it down. Even Cole at three knows how to turn the volume down. It's the first thing that they learn, because uh, effectively our first generation iPhone is an iPod Touch at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, uh, thanks very much to the technologizer. We didn't ask permission to go through this, but I'm sure they don't mind. We give them some uh, um, free PR for it. Oh, that's. Um, a, I mean, you, that's a great website. Technologizer should be on everyone's uh, every tech fan's RSS feed list. It is really one of the best sites going out there. With that, David, I think we're going to wrap it up. We're going to uh, do it again next week. Uh, I will send you over. My schedule, because it's going to be kind of crazy again. So we need to start planning on, well, you know what we really need to do, David, is plan these shows out a little bit more in advance than we have been. And uh, for that, I would really like to open this up to the listeners out there. 
if you guys would like to come on a show one time, let us know, and we could kind of schedule that ahead of time. And uh, I think that could be fun. We did it. We called it the listener invite over at the MyMac show. Um, I don't see why we couldn't do it here as well, David. No, I don't see why not. And I'm sure there's plenty of uh, plenty of people who, who disagree with our opinions or have different memories of old tech or experiences in new tech they could share with us. In fact, one thing I would like to talk uh, talk about in the next couple of shows, Tim, is I've, I've just... I've just gotten hold of a new digital camera that oh. um, I'm very, very pleased with. It's kind of one of these. Um, it's like an SLR, but it doesn't have the um, the big mirror thing on top, so it's much smaller than a normal SLR. So, um, so yeah, I'll have to talk about that one at some point. So take some pictures and send them over so I can kind of oh, see we'll the do. quality. Yeah, interesting. We'll yeah. Um, as far as new tech for me, David, I don't really have anything. Um, Hopefully the listeners out there will chime in about my whole writing dilemma and the 11-inch MacBook Air versus iPad. Really love to hear you guys' uh, opinions I on think that. I've been just been thinking about it, Tim, and I have the perfect machine for you. Uh-oh. Macintosh Portable, the original one. Yeah, it's very comfortable. <laughs> Might get a little bit warm with the, what, nickel cadmium batteries? Well, no, no, it had a lead-acid battery. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Lead acid battery only weighed about twenty pounds. Yeah, well, I just um, pull the one out of my Honda; it should be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do Lord. get a full size keyboard. Yeah, well, and a trackball. Yeah, <laughs> the the keyboard's so big I can fit two fingers per keys on it. It's <laughs> all right. So we're gonna get out of here. Uh, make sure you check out the mymac.com podcast. Guy and Gaz doing that every week. Really enjoyed the last few shows they did. Uh, bumpers live on the air. I thought that was hilarious. I was... Funny, yeah. I, I'm not going to tell you which ones I wrote, but pretty much the, the biggest laughs, David. I, yeah. I, I'm not going to say those are mine. But some of them were. <laughs> <laughs> Going commando on morality. <laughs> I, I don't know where I came up with that. Um, an 80-year-old man jogging on a nudist beach. Um... But probably the one that I, I came up with that had Guy and I laugh at the most at the airport that night was flabby and unnatural places. <laughs> no idea what the hell that means. I just thought it was funny. So, oh, that was dangerous. He actually sent some for us to do on Tech Fan, but I'd like to do it, but I don't. I don't know. Well, we'll have to think about it. Okay. So, David, I'll see you in a week. Hang loose. Be safe. <laughs>